And he came towards me and he started to embrace me and hug me and apologize for his, his attitude towards me when I first arrived. And it melted his heart. And I remember getting into the car and I put my key in the car and I turned the engine and I drove along and I heard this voice. And the voice said this, a man with a testimony will never be at the mercy of a man with an argument. Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite, and I'm joined here today with a new and exciting friend, Terry Quinn. He is a incredible evangelist and missionary in Ireland seeking to bring the uh, Irish people back into relationship with Jesus and awaken Europe again, which is so incredibly important. Terry, thank you so much and welcome to be on Damascus. I'm excited already, Dan, just with that introduction. I'm so excited. Oh, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time. Um, if, if you're joining us for the first time, Beyond Damascus is a show where encounter meets mission. You see, my friends, we can't be followers of Jesus who aren't also missionaries with Jesus. He calls us to be co-laborers. And so often we have these spiritual awakenings, these encounter moments, these Damascus experiences, but we do nothing with it. And the Lord wants us to become missionary like St. Paul, who after he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, became a missionary to the nations. We want to be a people who encounter him day after day after day in our prayer. And as well, uh, after that prayer, we go off and we become missionaries for him. And just yeah. like, and Terry, you are a missionary for the nations. I'm excited to dive into this. Before we uh, dive into your story, your testimony, your missional work, uh, can you open us in prayer? Absolutely. Fantastic. Amen. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your God that hears and answers every prayer. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we say, Holy Spirit, this is your meeting. And we pray that you guide us in all that we say and all that we do. And we pray for every listener, every person that hears this program will be blessed, encouraged, and know that you're a God who's reaching out to them wherever they are, in their car, in their home, in their office, we ask you, Lord God, that you would touch them, that they would hear a word from heaven for this situation. And we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Name of Father, Amen. Son, Ma, Holy Son. Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. Hey, so Terry and I, we, we met just uh, like probably a month or so ago. Yes. We were at a conference for foreign missionaries. And uh, just it was a small retreat gathering of all these incredible missionaries to the nations. And uh, I love meeting new people where immediately there's brotherhood, right, mm -hmm. Terry? You're like, yeah, right away. We're, we're operating from the same framework. And it yeah. was funny, one of the, the first things I remember you said to me, you were like, oh, you're you're part of that podcast and you're the one who laughs a lot, aren't you? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and, and, but you were, you were, you were excited because you're like, I just love that yeah. it, it's a Catholic podcast that's filled with joy yeah. and people laughing, right? And I think Absolutely. you just, you live a joyful spirit in the Holy Spirit, which is so Yeah, awesome. do you know, do you know something? I always, I, did, I, I used to do a lot of men's conferences and I, oh, stayed, yeah. I say to a lot of these men, what seems to happen when before you 
come to Christ. You have this great personality, great humour, great fun, and then you come to Christ and you almost have a personality bypass. Yeah. <laughs> you become so dull and drab and boring, and your yes. friends are saying, what's happened to you? Oh, I've become a Christian. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, either that or they become kind of uh wimpy right we don't want to be wimpy wimpy like let's let's go to battle after yeah. we come to a relationship Amen. with jesus absolutely Amen. yeah i love to laugh we've got a fun and excitement enthusiasm i'm sure the lord must have had great fun with his apostles when he's here so that's absolutely. what i love about you guys that's what i love about your podcast it's real it's exciting it's not religious it's just i love it I'm glad yeah, to be it's a, here. It's filled with a spirit of joy. And that is what the church needs again. And I, you know, I think sometimes we're afraid as Catholics that um, I can't, if if I'm going to be reverent, that means I can't be joyful, right? Yeah. And we always say there's no dichotomy between joy and reverence. I remember this moment. I mean, you think about heaven, right? Heaven's worship is going to be perfectly joyful. <laughs> it's a celebration, right? It is a wedding feast. And wedding feasts can get wild, right? Absolutely. It's going to be a party. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not just the wedding of the lamb. It's the wedding feast. And, and, mm. and so it's perfectly joyful. And at the same time, there's just total reverence and fear of God and worshiping on our faces. Yes. The, the glory and the power and majesty of God. And it's a both and. And I Amen. believe as Catholics, our worship at the liturgy, our worship and adoration, our worship together wow. can look like this and can model this. And yeah. There, there was one time our missionaries, we were in prayer and we were, we were in adoration and it was some of the most bold, beautiful, like wild prayer, not in a way that was just so joyful and celebratory before the blessed yes. sacrament. And we ended up like the Lord inspired us to do a, uh, it, it, it turned into a Eucharistic procession where, and it was this like Jubilee following the Eucharist. And then we come back into the main sanctuary and the worship continues. And as soon as benediction began, everyone, like every, the whole atmosphere in the room changed. It was like all the worship and the joy and the jubilation changed. And uh, the priest turned to everyone and he said, wait, you can continue. And it yes. was so beautiful because he gave us permission to yes. have reverence and joy at the same time, which was such a unique, special moment. Yeah. We have, we, we have a healing service once a month. And last month with a 24-piece choir, we got a big band with the healing pipes, the Irish, like the bagpipes and violins. And we've got great musicians. And I was saying to a lot of people who probably haven't been to church for a long time and a lot of religious people, who think music and choirs and, and robes and it sounds very Protestant to a lot of Catholics, so much music. <laughs> yeah. And I, I read from the book of Revelation and I said, listen, if you've got a problem with music and praise and singing, you're going to have a nervous breakdown when you get to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't notice the bagpipes in the book of Revelations. <laughs> I, I need to get to Ireland. I need some good old bagpipe worship. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> so fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and so this is awesome. So just if you don't know Terry Quinn, he has a great website called uh, catholic-revert.com. Spoiler alert, he's a Catholic revert. And so he he you spent 30 years as kind of a 
international Bible scholar and pastor within the Protestant denominations. Mm-hmm. And then you came back into union with the, the, with the church. And now you're working as basically bringing evangelization methodology and tactics to the Catholic church in Ireland yes. to help awaken faith. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's Why don't, so Terry, when I think of Ireland and I think in the, the American context, right? Well, for a lot of us, our I- Irish context is St. Patrick's Day. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and so we get a lot of three leaf clovers. And like for, for us, a lot of times uh, w- when we think of Ireland, we just think of a Catholic nation, right? Yes. You have yeah. St. Patrick, you have the three leaf clover, you know, there's all these churches in Ireland. So I think for the nominal Catholic that may not know what's happening in Europe today, the Ireland and Catholicism are kind of simultaneous because St. Yes. Patrick and Ireland are simultaneous. Yes. Um, could you maybe tell us about what is the real state of the church in Ireland today? What are no, you facing? It's, it's, it's like almost in one generation, Dan, the, the people have just rejected and turned, turned against God and con- turned against the church. And uh, Ireland has become the most secular uh, country in Europe at the moment. And uh, the only country in the world that voted in the same-sex marriage and abortion. And even uh, the day that the abortion rights went through, they were dancing in the streets, they were celebrating in the streets. They have become so godless, in a sense, so secular, so left. And... I think I try to explain to people, there's an anger, there's a suppressed anger in, in, in the Catholic people in Ireland. There's been a lot of control done, there's been a lot of real abuse amongst the clergy, and the, the people haven't forgotten that. And, I, and you, you hear us hearing a Scottish accent here, just in case some of the viewers think, is that guy Irish? This is a Scottish he's accent. He's a fraud. <laughs> he's not really Irish. He's not really Irish, yeah. And neither was St. Patrick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So coming to Ireland as a Scottish Catholic, Catholicism in Ireland is so deep-rooted. And yes, they stood for their faith, they battled for their faith, they're prayerful people, a simple people who love God. The land of saints and scholars has been known as, and as you say, the three-leaf clover is known as the shamrock. And you know, people believe that's how St. Patrick taught them the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. So in one generation, it has become so angry, raising their fist up to God. And I think there's a whole gambit of emotions in there. And you have a core of people who are definitely love God, they're still very devotional, but you have a younger generation that's coming through that are rejecting the church, not only in the south of Ireland where I'm based, but in the north of Ireland where all the troubles were and, and uh, young people say they don't want religion any longer. They had it, had enough of it. So their understanding of Christ and the gospel is a false gospel. It's not the real gospel, the gospel of love, the gospel that reaches out to them. It's a religious controlling system that the people have rejected. And I've got great empathy for that. I really do. And talking to Irish people and mixing with them and talking to them in the street and even family members. And I remember my brother-in-law telling me that when they were younger, they were in in the hall dancing and the, the priest would come with a stick and he'd hit them with a stick and separating them and 
the, the priests were very, they were feared in Ireland. And a lot wow. of the people would open the door. You'd never say a bad word against a priest. And, and that's right. You, you want to honour the clergy. But I think there's a whole list of stuff going on with Irish people. They embraced Europe. They embraced, you know, the whole financial thing. They, they, they started to make a lot of money, became very, very rich and became very, very secular in almost like 30, 40 years. They have turned and rejected God and yeah. the church. That's where we are. I heard a statistic once that um, between 8 and 28-year-olds in Ireland, only 1.2% of Catholics are going to Mass, yeah. which is which is really, it's it's scary, right? Yeah. A, a nation that was once one for Christ has, has now been lost for Christ. Yeah. And yeah. it's really at the heart of John Paul II's call for the new evangelization wasn't just, hey, we need to go out and evangelize people again. That He called it, the, the new evangelization means we have to evangelize whole nations and cultures again because once Christian cultures have been lost and they need to be re-evangelized. And so we can't assume that Ireland or England or France or even America has has even been evangelized. Maybe at one point they were, but they are no, like it's a new evangelization yes. because these nations have been lost to secularism. And I think we're probably seeing it as, you, as you've pointed out. And I don't know if our listeners know, but we're seeing it at one of the fastest rates uh, of any nation in the world in Ireland. And it's the secularism of this young generation is, is very uh, alarming. And, and yeah. God has placed you there, Terry, as, as a missionary. And I loved our conversation. We'll dive into some of that later in the episode, because I think you're, you're thinking through evangelization in a secular nation in a way that is, uh, is just awesome. And I, I love some of the tactics and the ideas you're bringing to the table um, maybe before we dive into that, you could share your story with us. Like, so you're a Catholic revert. Yeah. When did you first encounter Jesus Christ? How'd you give your life to him? And what launched you into a life of ministry? Well, I started uh, with my baby son. My baby son became very sick. My son died. He was 19 months old. He died wow, with leukemia. So sorry. He was How diagnosed with leukemia from age three months. We battled for his life till he was 19 months. But I remember during all that time, uh, we had been told that my son, he was called after me, his name's Baby Terry, after me. And we'd been told that really there's nothing much more they could do for Baby Terry. And just at the same time, my mother, and again, my mother was a very, very religious woman. She was very devout. But she never knew the Lord. She never had an encounter with Christ. She was religious. But she'd never had a conversion, really. And uh, one day she came into the house like John the Baptist. <laughs> like, she had a complete conversion. She walked into a charismatic prayer meeting and sat at the back of this prayer meeting and get totally zapped. That's the only way <laughs> I can say. She just gets zapped get anointed yeah. with the Holy Spirit, baptised in the Holy Spirit, came round to the house with this big Bible, opening the Bible, and she's <laughs> preaching the Bible to me, and I've got five brothers and two sisters, there's eight of us, 
And she was preaching the Bible. She was talking about speaking in tongues and praising God and worshiping the Lord and the bishop praising tongues and the priests are coming. We're having this conference. We're having a day renewal. She was 30,000 feet and rising. I mean, I've, I've heard of baptism in the Holy Spirit. I haven't heard of being zapped in the Holy Spirit. This is, this is, <laughs> this is good stuff. And the fact that she had a Bible, well, a Bible, in particular in Scotland, I don't know what it's like in America, but for us Catholic, that, that's Protestant. Yeah, I mean, Catholics okay. don't, we don't have a Bible, but here's my mother, this little devout religious woman, starting to carry a Bible and read the Bible and study the Bible. And I remember my brother phoning me one night and saying, I think she's become a Protestant. <laughs> and I always remember him, remind him of that. Because he was so serious, I think, I think she's become a Protestant because her language had changed, reading the scriptures, and she had a real conversion experience. Wow. So when my baby gets sick, I remember saying to the doctor, I'm, I'm going to this prayer meeting. But when my mother goes to this prayer meeting, and these people really have got a faith, and I'm going to take my son to that prayer meeting. And I went to that prayer meeting, and I'll tell you, and I'm a Bible teacher, I've studied the Bible, I've studied over 10 years Bible college and stuff, and I love the scripture, I love the word of God, I teach for generation, Genesis to book of Revelation, but you know what touched me? It was the love of God amongst these people. These people were not schooled in the scriptures, they were just ignorant, Catholics in a way of the scriptures, but my goodness, did they love each other? And when I walked into this hall, I saw them hugging each other, embracing each other, so excited to see one another. And then they prayed with each other, were praying together, praising God. Someone started singing tongues and this worship, this supernatural language. I know that some people can get freaked out with, oh, singing in tongues, but it's perfectly scriptural. That's what happened at Pentecost. But for me, I knew right away when I heard people singing in this supernatural language, this is heavenly, this is, this is, this is God, and I knew right away. Wow. And that night, they, they asked me, would you like to give your life to Christ? And I never knew about encountering Christ or surrendering my life to Jesus. I never knew any of this, but I knew this was real. And I knew for, at that point, yes, absolutely, I want what you've got. And I think... I think for me, that night was my conversion because as soon as they laid hands on me, I got a vision of Christ standing right in front of me with a white robe and a red overcoat. It's clear as a bell. He was standing there, reaching out to me. And I just it impacted my life so much that night. It completely, radically changed my life. I was only 22. I was only a young man. And I knew that I knew for the first time in my life that I had... A conversion, the, 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 the Pentecostals will call it born again experience. We believe we're born again at baptism. We believe that, of course. But there's this time with this conversion that we come to Christ and we say yes to our baptism of ours. We say yes, we have this adult experience. We say, Jesus is real. And for yes. me, that was just a completely life-changing experience. And then the days after when my son died, it was just amazing peace in there. The power of the Holy Spirit working through me that at that time, I was able to witness to so many people. They could see this young boy. I wasn't grieving. It's almost that like I had this encounter that he's just changed locations. He's he's <laughs> more alive now than ever. He, yeah. he has been before, 
And just before he died, we had a, this awesome experience. The doctor arrived at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, I'm going to have to give him morphine. I'm going to have to give him a, a good injection of morphine and he's going to slip into a coma. And when he does, he won't wake up again. And at that time, Dan, I was still praying for a miracle. I was still holding on to that very last breath, walking up and down my living room saying, Lord, sacred heart of Jesus, I place all my trust in you. It's the only prayer I could pray at that time. And then about half past two in the morning, we got a knock on the door. And this lady from our prayer group walked into her front room and she still had her pyjamas and her dressing gown on. And she pointed right between my eyes and she said, God woke me up to tell you to let go. And she said, God's going to take him home, but he's not going to take him home without your permission. Wow. And I'm saying, the God of the universe needs my permission. It's almost like an Abraham, Isaac. And it's like God saying, you have to say yes in this situation. Everything in me was crying out, no. I don't want to lose my son. I don't want this, Lord. I don't want him healed. And I've seen people healed. But God is greater and bigger than any of us. And at that point, I just dropped to my knees and I said, Lord, if this is you, if this is your will, then Lord, of course, take him home. And as soon as I said that, instantly my father cried, called to us from the bedroom. And we walked through into the bedroom. My father says he's been pointing, he was pointing during being in the coma. And as we walked into the room, he had his hands up as though somebody was, like an adult would reach down for a child and the child would put his hands up. And at wow. that point, we walked out and that's, that's what I walked into just before he died. And the wow. presence, the presence of Christ in that room was just... Now the Bible says the peace of God is beyond understanding, Philippines 4. It is. I've lived that. I, I can't even articulate the peace that flooded that room in the presence of heaven and angels in Christ. And it's almost like we just seen him go. And he laid wow. back in the bed. And it was a woman with the pyjamas. She was in there behind him holding his head at the time when he died. She had such a privileged position as a prophet bringing that word. And the days after, maybe I think it's part of my testimony, Dan, that God gave me that foundation that, you know, you have to let go and let God at times and, and be able to trust fully in God. And that stood me the test of time and everything I've come through in ministry. And I was able to, I remember the day of the funeral, the funeral undertaker saying, you just go ahead and we'll bring him in. And I said, no, 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 I'll take him. Mm. And I had such strength and anointing of God on me. I lifted his wee white coffin and I carried them down the, the altar. People were crying everywhere. It was such a moving experience. So I could put his wee coffin on the altar. I read the first scripture. And afterwards, I just witnessed to so many people about what Jesus has done for me. This is what Jesus has done for me. And, you know, the scripture says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And the word of our testimony is powerful. And I've seen grown men. I've seen so many grown men as we say, they are challenging me and asking me, are oh, you one of these charismaniacs? <laughs> and I've seen grown men saying, how did you become a Christian? Well, this is how I became a Christian. Tears rolling down their eyes. Once they hear this experience and this counter with Christ, it completely changed my life. That's, wow. And that's how it started.
Yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for sharing that, Terry. I I think just between like your mom's experience and your testimony uh, uh, of her conversion and your testimony of your conversion, it's like life with the Holy Spirit provides exactly what we need in that moment. Yes. Like it, 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 like life in the Holy Spirit provides us like burning love for the sacred scripture that you you testify your mom experienced or this ability to share the faith with her family to pass on the faith to her children or or this this incredible courage and i think like the the courage and the 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 peace you had through suffering is and i it is interesting because life with the holy spirit often gets categorized by people who don't understand the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Yes. It gets categorized as crazy maniacs, right? Yes. Like charismaniacs or whatever you want to call it. Like these, these wild people, but it's, it's actually, no, it's, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace, love, joy, yeah. gentleness, mm-hmm. patience, generosity, kindness, patience, faithfulness, and self-control. Yes. That's what I have access to when I'm alive in the Holy Spirit. And, yeah. and and then the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like the ability for you to to have that courage, like right, like he's just like, okay, I'm just gonna give you fortitude right now. I'm gonna I'm just gonna pour out a, a just a dose of uh, of of knowledge and wisdom right now, so that yes. you know my desires. And I love that so yeah. so so rich. So it's about you- the testimony, Dan. You know, and and, and for any listeners listening, just remember that. Yeah, I remember once, I'll tell you this story, I remember once I was uh, visiting this lady, I'm a financial advisor by profession, and this old lady, she asked me to get, the old lady, she was in her 70s, but she had a boyfriend in her 70s, <laughs> nice. I think it was 11 boyfriends she had at the time, and I arrived at her house, this man came out, and I asked, is this where such and such lives, and he kind of grunted at me, it, it, it was like he was so angry, he said, go in and you find out yourself, and he went for a walk, and Anyway, I'm, I'm doing business with her, and at the end of it, we start talking. And of course, I start talking about Jesus and tell her what the Lord's done for me. And then she asked, How did you become a Christian? So I start telling this story, and before we know it, she's got handkerchiefs out, she's crying and crying, and <laughs> bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And then the next thing, the door closes, and he's back from his walk, this grunt, grumpy, angry man. And uh, he walked in and says, Why are you crying? And she says, I've just heard this amazing story. And he, he said, what, what's the story? And she said, well, he just told me how he became a Christian. Well, how did you become a Christian? And he sat down, very angry. Mm. So I told him the story. And then he started to cry. And he came towards me and he started to embrace me and hug me and apologise for his, his attitude towards me when I first arrived. And it melted his heart. And I remember going into the car and I put my key in the car and I turned the engine and I drove along and I heard this voice and the voice said this a man with a testimony will never be at the mercy of a man with an argument <laughs> yes amen to that I love that I love a that. man a- with a testimony will never be at the mercy of a man with an argument and I was reminded by John in John 9 remember when, when Jesus healed the blind man and and they're all trying to talk him out of it, and you weren't really blind, and the Pharisees are getting angry, and even the mother and fathers, they start getting afraid, and ask him yourself, because they're trying yeah. to doubt him. And the blind man says, I don't know about all this. All I know is this. I was blind, but now <laughs> I see. And that was his Amen. testimony. So yeah. a man with a testimony will never be at the mercy 
of a man with an argument. And we're living in a world, goodness me, I'm living in Ireland and everybody's got an argument. But as soon as I start to give my testimony, I don't know about this and I don't know about that and I don't know about the government, but I know this. This is what Jesus did for me. And this is how he changed my life. They'll never, ever win that argument. And that's why the scripture says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And everybody has a testimony. I keep telling people, everybody in here is a miracle. You're a walking miracle. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. Yeah. Amen. I love that. I was when I was in college, I was so excited to evangelize. And um I I was a philosophy and a theology student. And so I was getting all this good theological and philosophical arsenal, you know, and like how to defend the proofs for the existence of God. And so I'd be in campus, like on campus and and having conversations both at Ohio Dominican, which was my Catholic university, but also I lived at Ohio State, so it was a secular university. And I'm always trying to engage in these conversations to win people over to the the power of the gospel. Yes. And I realized that all the argumentation about the proofs for the existence of God were, were never worked. It just it just led to more argumentation back and forth, back and forth. And it was growing almost bitterness inside of me as yeah. well. And yeah. uh, and a frustration at the other person. And so I was like, this I'm just gonna start telling them my testimony. And yeah. it's so funny because when it's like when I ask, well, why don't you believe in the in the existence of God? They'll boom, 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 boom. And I just like, well, why do you believe in the existence of God? It's like, well, because I've heard him speak to me. And this is what he said. <laughs> or because I've encountered him in, in adoration. And yeah. it's like it it was so dismantling. All of a sudden they're like, wait, wait, what do you mean you encountered him in adoration? Like, what what is that? Right? Yeah. The the, the testimony is not at mercy to the argument, which is such a beautiful word. Yeah. So did you go from like encountering Jesus to like, what, what was your, what, if you will, when did you become Protestant? How did you become an international biblical scholar and then, or teacher and then, and then go back into the Catholic faith? Yeah. What happened is I get involved, very much involved in the charismatic prayer meeting. Then eventually I became the leader of the prayer meeting and I was contemplating covenant community because very much the covenant community was coming into charismatic renewal. You had the Word of God in Ann Arbor, the Sword of the Spirit, and, and I was hoping that maybe somehow I could get into that because being involved in charismatic renewal and this new life and this new zeal for Christ and then going back into normal parish life, it was it was so hard. And we were hoping and believing that someday that charismatic renewal would be integrated right into the life of the church. And I found it very, very, very frustrating. And then there was a mass exodus of Catholics left the Catholic Church, the Charismatic Renewal, and loads of them were leaders. And they, they joined this Pentecostal church. The Pentecostal pastor, was, he was a clever, he was a clever old rascal because at the time there were so many Catholic boys get baptised in the Holy Spirit, Presbyterian boys, boys from the Anglican Church, boys from the Brethren Church coming into the, the, the things of the Spirit. And he he started a, an afternoon prayer meeting at 2 o'clock. So that meant we could all go to Mass in the morning and then go to the Pentecostal Church in the afternoon. And a lot of the guys were doing that, but I refused to do that because I'm Catholic. I want to stay Catholic and loyal to the Catholic Church. But meanwhile, I was getting very frustrated as well. But one by one, it broke my heart when I saw the leaders leaving, and they were very, very influential leaders. 
And the bishop, he was charismatic at the time. His heart was broken, and he was trying to keep them on board. And, and I remember at one point we'd say to the bishop, give us a parish, give us, give us a charismatic parish and a few young priests and that we could be a model for the diocese. And, you know, because we're dying in our local parishes, our local priests don't want anything to do with us. They don't want interested, we're happy clappies, we're charismatic. Happy clappies. I haven't heard that one. That stuff. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he didn't do it. But that went on and on and on. And uh, I refused to eventually, I thought to myself, I'll go along and see this Pentecostal meeting. And so I took my kids to Mass in the morning and I went there in the afternoon. And it was just, I was just blown away by the, the, the enthusiasm, the music, the power. My, my, my old pastor was a great Bible teacher. I mean, he was sitting riveted under the Word of God, expounding the Scriptures. And every week, people were coming to Christ. There was an altar call every week. Come to the altar. Come and give your life to Christ. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Bible school. Outreach. And I just... Well, and that's... We want to be a part of a church where lives are being changed. Yeah. Right? Like, who wants to be a part of a church where people are asleep and dead yeah. and numb? And, like, that is not the vision of the biblical church that you see when people come into relationship with Jesus Christ, yeah. he changes lives. And yes. it is. It's so disappointing. Actually, I was just... I was talking to some, uh, some of our missionaries this morning. And uh, one of them was suggesting that, like, yeah, you know, you, you, there's this this parish that we were talking about. And he's like, yeah, but the laity are so strong. And even though the preaching's really bad and the liturgy's really bad, you can tell the laity are being formed elsewhere and they're sticking with it even through a bad liturgy. And I was like, but that isn't how it should be. Like, we shouldn't be faithful to the Lord in spite of a bad liturgy. We should be faithful to the Lord and blessed and energized and nourished by a great liturgy. Like it's the liturgy should feed us and sustain us. And it's, it should be our deepest form of worship to the Lord, the, the, the source, the summit, the pinnacle of our life together as Christians. I feel like so often, yeah, we're reduced to saying like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to, I'm getting nourished over here and here and here and here. And I'm going through and suffering through my Sunday experience. And yeah. uh, And I think for me is to renew that. Yeah, I think for me as well, ultimately, I, I fought it and I fought it. I mean, they, they used to call me the last of the Mohicans. All the guys that left the Catholic Church, they called me the last of the Mohicans because I refused. I am not leaving the Catholic Church. But you know what broke my heart? My kids, my eldest son, Danny, said to me one day, he said, Dad, can we not go to the boarding church any longer? Can we go to the super church? That's how he called the Pentecostal church, the super church. Because he was going in the afternoon, he was seeing life, he was seeing music and worship and praise, and he was going to these children's church, he was getting his memory verses, and he was just love. He'd be waking me up on Sunday, Dad, let's go to church, because the kids were so excited. And that broke my heart, because I had that encounter with baby Terry, that experience in charismatic renewal, and the, the move of God that was happening in the Catholic charismatic renewal. I remember being at a meeting when Ralph Martin and the fire team came to Edinburgh in Scotland. 5,000 people there and fire wow. for the Lord. It was just, there were great days. The memories of those days, that broke my heart. And I, I ultimately remember the last Mass before I left, I actually went down to my knees and I prayed this prayer, bring me back, Lord. And I had tears rolling down my eyes, and I says, Lord, bring me back. I need to go, but I want to come back. Mm. Bring me back. And I'm actually writing a book just now called Bring Me Back, Lord. <laughs> nice. Because the Lord took me away in this 
journey from for over 30 years from experiencing this love and this, this baptism of love. These unschooled Catholics who never knew anything about the scriptures, but they knew how to love each other. They, they had such an incredible uh, heart of love that just touched my heart. And having that experience, then getting into the scriptures and the word of God and evangelism, it just it broke my heart to do that. But I just knew that somehow in my frustration, you know, one of the dictionary definitions of frustration is greatness contained within smallness. <laughs> wow. Greatness wow. contained within smallness. I'm frustrated. Oh. And I, and that's I used not, to, I used that's to, not the <laughs> definition of the, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, right? Oh, that wow. is that, isn't it? Greatness. Come, Holy Spirit. 2,000 years of history. Out. And tradition oh. and the sacraments and everything, the scholars and Aquinas and Augustine, this great church. Yeah, well, and, and, and when you think about, oh, the super church, right? The boring church versus super church. We are like, we the super church. church. Like the super, like we have access to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. But as you're saying, all the angels and saints and the tradition, it's all so, so rich and so good. And yet, when you're dead and you're dry bones, it looks so bad. Yeah. You can't, the, even the greatest cathedral in the world can't look beautiful if the people in the, the living stones aren't alive, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Man, Absolutely. come Holy Spirit. And, and so the, can you share maybe, just because I'm sure you have a few good stories. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to be mindful too to get to the present as well, what you're doing for you within yeah. the faith today. But what, like, while you were... Um, what are some of the coolest miracles you've seen Jesus do? <laughs> like, can you brag on God? Like, what are some amazing things you've seen, ways that you've seen God change people's lives? I saw a blind man healed right in front of me, right? He was standing in the prayer queue right in front of me at a men's conference, totally blind. And the, the, the Bible teacher at the time laid hands on him, and he, both eyes popped, both eyes gone. He ran around about the hall screaming at the top of his voice, saying, I can see, I can see, I can see. That's, that's one of the, most, the coolest miracles I've, I've ever seen. But the miracle of conversion for me, you know, what we, what we are doing now, maybe I'm jumping the gun now, but we have this new service in, in, in Ireland. We are what with Father Jerry Campbell. He's a charismatic priest. He's in fire of the Lord. And we launched this new service, this Encountering Christ service at two o'clock in the afternoon till four o'clock in the similar to the old pastor. Because yeah, thinking, you're going back here's to your Pentecostal way. days there, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so seeing that and seeing so many people's lives getting changed in my journey as, as an evangelist, I just got a heart, a heart for the lost. And But even, even when I was a Pentecostal, I, I could see right away, this is cringe. And I, I remember lecturing on cringe-free evangelism because a lot of the Pentecostals were very cringy in their way of evangelizing and they didn't know how to connect with people and reach people and just be just be naturally supernatural. <laughs> you don't have to be yeah. weird. Yeah. You don't have like to be that. weird yeah. to be supernatural. Just our number be, one rule here at Damascus is to our missionaries is don't be weird. Don't be weird. <laughs> they, they, weirdness is the first way to stop the evangelization process, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like be natural. You can do the supernatural gifts in a very normal way. Like yeah, Jesus absolutely. wasn't weird. Yeah. Yeah. So I trained, I I trained a lot on uh, the young people. We did a lot of street ministry, 
trans-free evangelism. And what we did is we went to all the towns all over the area in Scotland where I lived in, and we had our outreach in a town hall or a theatre. I wouldn't go into a, a church too religious. See, the lost don't want to get into churches. The lost yeah. are uncomfortable in churches. So get them into a, a neutral position. And what we did was we put them into town halls. We get into the streets. We'd evangelize during the day. And then they would praise and worship and choir at night. And then I'd preach the gospel and do an altar call. And we did that all over the area in Scotland where I lived. Then I became a pastor. Then I started to travel, majoring in men, a lot of men's conferences. Because that's, that's strong in my heart, men. Do you know, if you, you get into an average church, you're talking 65 to 70% of the church are women. Yeah. Women. We are losing men. Why are we losing men? We must look at the scriptures and find out Jesus started his ministry with 12 men. 3,000 men were saved at Pentecost. Jesus built his ministry on men. We thank God for the women. Where would we be without the women? <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. They were last at the cross and first at the tomb. But you, yeah. you can't find a scripture where Jesus says to women, follow me. Women follow. Women are great followers, but men need to be commanded. Acts 17, the Bible says, command all men to repent. Mm. So it's such a heart for men's ministry because all my, my brothers were all fighting men. They're all hard men. And they started fighting an empty house. And I saw my brothers coming to Christ and realizing that the way that we have portrayed this sissified Christ, this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Californian Christ. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I call that Malibu Jesus. The Malibu Jesus, yeah. <laughs> and that, that repels men. Yeah. And all this cozy, comfortable Christianity and the feminization of Christianity and the feminization of how we do church, men, men would rather go to the pub. They'd rather go to the match because... Men are wired for adventure. And I really got that very, very quickly and realized that we really need to major a lot in men. But we, what, what, what ministry do we have for men in the Catholic Church? There's very few. And uh, so I, I thank was, God for that revelation. So you were preaching and teaching. Um, and What led to your reversion back to Catholicism? Well, I moved to Ireland. I'll tell you what happened in Ireland. I moved to Ireland. I was living in Ireland. And uh, during the same-sex marriage, I uh, noticed in the front, new, the front page of the newspaper, they were hoisting the LGBT flag, the rainbow flag. Over 4,500 students had voted they were going to vote yes for equality. And, and Dan, I'll tell you, then it was like something came over me. It was this holy discontent. It's the only way I can... This, this anointing, this... It wasn't anger or rage, it was just, it was a holy discontent. We need to do something about this. And I was running a men's ministry at the time, an interdenominational men's ministry, and I phoned one of the guys and I said, listen, the president that's in this newspaper, is he there today? He said, yeah, there's four and a half thousand students in here. He, he will be here. And I said, I'm coming to, I want, I want to meet him. So I jumped in the car and I went to go see him. And uh, I hope I'm not talking too fast for this American audience. Can I got you, man. I got okay? every word out of your mouth. You're just on fire with the Holy Spirit, so it is kind of fun because we're all over the place. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, let's keep this into a linear testimony, Terry. No, but you're... <laughs> <laughs> let's but just go for every it. word. It's beautiful. Okay. 
I remember, I'll, I'll tell a fun, funny story before I get back <laughs> to this story. I remember I was speaking at a conference in Dallas and uh, I checked into the reception room and I was really hungry. So I phoned reception. Of course, I spoke much quicker then. And I said, do you have a burger and French fries? And this voice says, you want a bucket of fresh ice? <laughs> I said, not a burger and French fries. <laughs> A bucket of fresh ice coming up. Uh, oh, nice. I put down the phone. This is a true story. And I thought, I've got to get down to reception and get a pizza or something. And I went to the elevator, and the elevator door opened. There's this guy standing with two buckets of ice. <laughs> <clears throat> and I think, he's going to my room. So, anyway. So, I hope the guys can understand me. So, anyway, I goes and I meet this president of the, the, the student union. And I said, would you debate me and some Bible scholars on this whole vote of same-sex marriage? He says, yeah. He was up for it. Young guy. I liked him. He was quite, he was cool. But two days later, he says, Terry, I've been outvoted. They don't want to do it. But by this time, I'd caught this vision for this. We need to do something. So what I did was I went around all the Pentecostal pastors I knew in the town, African pastors, and then I went to some of the, the Catholic priests around some of them and said, listen, we need a united witness here. I called a meeting and over 40 leaders turned up in this hall for this meeting. And I'd been around every one of them myself. And the Baptist minister sat beside me and he's nudging me saying, this is a miracle. This is a miracle having everybody in here together. So that night I put together a plan that we'd put this uh, service together, this no against the same-sex marriage. And at that time, with such a great coverage, and I think it seemed almost like we were the only lunatic Catholics out in the streets and preaching the gospel and Jesus is alive and no, we want no to this thing. There was such fear in the church in Ireland. Priests weren't preaching into it. A lot of the clergy were afraid because there was such intimidation. And there were so many, they reckon that over 25 million was poured into to Ireland to, for, to, to win that vote. Wow. But I got friendly with quite a lot of Catholics at the time, and this lady became very friendly. And my wife and I, we have oversee this charity shop. I, did, I used to work a lot with addicts when I was a pastor in Scotland, and a friend of mine tracked me down after 25 years, a young boy that uh, helped 25 years ago in Scotland. Now he's running a rehab in Dublin. And me and him connected. Still call me Pastor. Pastor Terry, how are you? You're, you're in Ireland now. So we met up together. So my wife and I kind of sponsored this rehab and we opened up this shop for them to help them. And this little lady walked in and she says, I've got a word for you. I says, really? And she says, I really believe God's going to use you in the church. <laughs> now, I just come back from 10 days. I was in Indianapolis. I was in Dallas. I just done 10 days of speaking at conferences in the US. And I started <laughs> laughing. I said, God is using me in the church. And she said, <laughs> <laughs> she said no, the Catholic church. God's going to use you in the Catholic church. Wow. I said, That's God's going to use me in the Catholic church. I left the Catholic Church 30 years ago. Why would God ever use me in the Catholic Church? But she was so sincere. And she wrote down Scott Hahn's name. I'd never heard of Scott Hahn. Hopefully someday <laughs> I'll meet Scott. 
But you should dun, not dun, do dun. Sport Highlands. He's speaking at Damascus in the fall. We'll bring you out. Oh, I'll come in. I'll be there. Yeah. And uh, she, she, she took my hand. She says, promise me you'll watch this. And Dan, to be honest with you, at first I was kind of patronised. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. But the way she asked me, will you please watch it? I says, yeah. So that night, I put Scott Hahn on. And I was, I put him on stop, and I went to my Bible, back, forward, back and forward. And then I had this addiction. I was addicted to apologetics. Listen mm. to Catholic Answers and Tim Staples and Trent Horn and Jimmy Aitken, all these guys, these scholars, explaining scriptures that I had never seen. First Timothy 3.15, the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm a Bible teacher, and I miss that. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly. my understanding of uh, church fathers was Martin Luther. I never heard yeah. of Irenaeus, Ignatius, and <laughs> I heard of these guys. So I had this addiction. I was listening to Catholic. I remember the first Catholic Protestant debate. It was East Southern Baptists. I think it was Pat Madrid and a few others that were debating them. And I remember the, 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 the Southern Baptist coming forward with his big Protestant Bible, and I'm thinking. He is going to make minced meat of these pure Catholic apologetics, you know, apologists. <laughs> and it was Pat Madrid, after this guy got up and said a few words, Pat Madrid went up and quoted Proverbs 18.17 that says, The first to present his case seems right till another comes along and questions him. That's how he started. And I thought, wow, <laughs> nice. here we go. I like that. And they were into the scriptures. And I, I just had such an addiction. And I spent a good few years studying and studying and went back into the, the Second Vatican documents and, and studied the Council of Trent. And I'm saying, oh my goodness, this is the church. This is the church. This is Matthew 16. There were Peter upon this rock. I will build my church. What happened? The Reformation, yeah. the, the schism, all the stuff that I took on board as this young Bible teacher, pastor, just want to get folks saved and come into the Lord. And all the Catholic doctrines fell off me over the years. And then the Blessed Mother, you know, the, the New Eve, the Ark of the Covenant, all this revelation coming to me that I'd never seen before. And I went, oh my, this is amazing. I need to go back. I need to go. <laughs> Lord, you're calling me back. I need to go Amen. back. And now that prayer, bring me back, Lord is now being fulfilled because not only I'm a spirit-filled Bible teacher, but also believe in the truth of the Catholic Church. And for all the mess, it's, and it's always been a mess. We had yeah. this from the beginning. There's always I been. mean, yeah, look at, our, look at our first pope. He made a pretty uh, outrageous <laughs> mistake at a critical <laughs> moment. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Terry, I'm noticing something about your testimony. Uh, both the Lord used the prophetic word from a woman and both of these critical moments yeah. of your life, right? And Amazing. so if I ever need you to do something, I'm just going to find an old lady to come and tell you what you, what you should do. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. No, that's, that's, that's incredible, though. And I, I actually, I do love the your obedience to pr prophecy is actually very beautiful because a lot of times um like you 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 listen to the word of the lord through other people and and, mm -hmm. and both the word that the woman shared when your son was sick and the woman that shared about you coming back to the faith and being uh, a source of life in the church i think it's so beautiful how you were humble enough to receive their word 
and, and, and give, give it credit in your spiritual life. And, and, and the Lord has blessed you abundantly because of yeah. that. So yeah. 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 I, yeah. I was so, blessed. Yeah. So I love, I love what God's doing in your ministry because it's so wild. I think so from an American context, if, if I'm an American conservative Catholic, I've heard you say a few times like, oh, that's too religious or that's religion. And, and I would say a lot of times in America, we'd be like freak out when we hear someone say that, like, oh, my gosh, that's like, no, religion's good. Religion's good. And we're like, we're like defending religion in America. But yeah. explain what you mean by that and explain kind of how are you trying to reach the lost in a, in a nation that is secular and a nation where only one percent of people are going to mass on Sunday or, or whatever the statistics are and yeah. in, in a nation that is celebrating about abortion, uh, uh, how, do, how do you, what, what is your technique or your tactic to win yeah. the loss? I think, I think because of the, the riches of the church, it's like Jeff Caven says, you know, we, we get through this process of Catholic schooling and the sacraments, the Eucharist and confirmation, and we leave school with us heaps, heaps of Catholicism, as Jeff says. We have all this Catholicism, but many, many people have never had that encounter with Christ. And, and, and this, is, this is the focus, is encountering Christ. I had encountered church. It's churchianity versus Christianity. And that's a whole different ballgame. And this is what I mean by religion. Religion is an observation of rules and regulations. And we need rules and we need regulations. And we, need, we need order, of course. But when you study the life of Christ, it was religion that took Jesus to the cross. It was religious spirits that couldn't stand. They were the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day. And they were blinded by this young rabbi who was challenging and bringing the truth of the gospel to them. But the thing about that religious spirit, Jesus says they were so correct in the letter of the law but they're missing the spirit of the law. They also miss the spirit of the law. And we have this religious observance, and it's more towards the church. It is churchianity. And this personal encounter with Christ is gone. And that's what I love about Pope Benedict talking about this personal encounter with Christ. He keeps bringing us back to this Jesus of Nazareth, this, this person. He's a person. He, he yeah. loves us. He gave his life for us. Just look to the crucifix. Look to the cross and you'll see your salvation there. So as much as we have all this, and I love it, we need it, and the pomp and the ceremony and the bishops and the clergy and all that stuff. And a lot of that can be a distraction from the person of Christ. So yeah. we try and remove that. We've tried to remove any obstacles that would stop people from encountering this Christ, not to take away from the traditions, the sacred traditions. Jesus says the traditions of men cause the word of God to have no effect. But sacred traditions, that's okay. We're okay with sacred traditions. But we have a lot of traditions within church. Our church is just so man-made, and it's just, where, where, where do you get this from, you know? So what we try to do is try and remove any kind of religiousness or stateness or formal or this kind of <clears throat> understanding. And that's what I loved about the Catholic Church. And I used to share this a lot with my evangelical brothers. Catholics have this natural inbred reverence for 
Christ and for the presence of God and the tiptoeing into the church and the genuflected. And, and, and that's beautiful. And we love that. We want that. We don't want to, to, to lose that at all and that reverence. But so many people don't know Jesus as a person. So yeah. what we do is we try and make it as real and uh, as easy as possible. People who come to church and they do get well factored. They do get re uh, accepted at the door. They get welcomed. They, they, get, they, they get embraced. If they're okay for an embrace, maybe just a handshake. And we give them this well factor and we have a full expression of praise and worship and singing in tongues. No problem with singing in tongues. And I explain that. This is perfectly biblical to do this. And the music's powerful. And then afterwards, I preach. And I preach the gospel. I preach Christ. I preach giving your life to the Lord. This is an opportunity for you to surrender your life to Christ. And every, every week, and I would say this for years as a Pentecostal, I must have done about tens of thousands of altar calls, and we didn't even have an altar in the Pentecostal <laughs> churches. At least we have an altar in the Catholic Church. And I remember saying to Father Jerry, let's do altar calls every Sunday at Mass. Let's do an altar call. At least we have one. Every Sunday, people come forward. Yeah. And it's a way, and one of the things we've learned in Divine Renovation from like, so Father James Marlin and guys like that that are bringing re renovation with the church, they, they, they taught us right from the very beginning, Mass is not for the lost. Mass is for insiders. We know this. We know. We know. We, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. know the real presence. These guys haven't got a clue. They're unchurched. They're lost. They're pagans. A lot of them. So try and create an environment for them that they would hear the gospel and this encounter with this real person, Jesus, who gave His life for them. And that's what we do every Sunday. Every Sunday, they get an opportunity then, to surrender their life to Christ. So explain that. So it's it's you're almost doing like a pre-mass yeah. prayer meeting. And then does that flow into the liturgy? Because you're not preaching the homilies, correct, Terry? Just None. in case someone's listening, they're not like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like Terry's a heretic. He's up preaching the homilies. They 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 don't have the litur liturgy anymore. These guys aren't Catholics. So so you guys, you, you still have the liturgy, right? And, and yes, it is, it is a faithful Catholic liturgy. This is authentic Catholicism. Yes. But you're, you have a new approach to bringing young people into faith, right? Yes, for any canon law, lawyers that are listening, uh, yeah. <laughs> no. We have a, a mass, Father Jerry, he preaches the homily at the mass, and he's challenging, yeah. his word is very challenging as well, with the full mass, with praise and worship, praise of the faithful. <clears throat> but after mass, we have more praise and worship, and then I get up and I preach the gospel. I just preach Okay, so you do post-mass. Nice. Sorry? So you do a post mass, so it's a it's a two hour long ceremony, right? If now that's will. a miracle, so that, Dan. That's a miracle. Catholics for two hours at mass. <laughs> I know that's a, that's amazing, and and so and, and how, what kind of fruit are you seeing? So you have the liturgy followed by a time of evangelization and a, and, and a, a an a opportunity for people to give their life over to Jesus Christ, an altar call, a de, if you will, a decision point where I'm surrendering myself over to Jesus. What kind of fruit are you seeing? Every week. 
Every week people are surrendering their life to Christ. And what we're saying to people is, and we're trying to train them in the area of evangelism. This is this is about you being able to be comfortable to bring your friend to a service where they're going to hear music and worship and real. We're not going to get too religious on them. We're going to preach and teach. We've got big 85-inch screens. We can use video. We can use everything we possibly can to preach the gospel to them. <clears throat> and this is why it's working. And sometimes for, for religious-minded people, oh, they'll get TV screens oh, in the church. <laughs> We're the church. We are the church. This building. We're the church where the people of God come and meet together. We are the church. And that's what we're trying to explain to people. Here's an opportunity for somebody you might be witnessing to at your work or your family. Bring them along in an afternoon service. And even for amongst the Catholics, or oh, that's family day for me. That's inconvenient. It's inconvenient for me. And the reason why we do it is because most lost people are lying in their bed on Sunday morning. When we're up at 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock mass, the lost people are lying sleeping because they've had too much <laughs> drink the night before and they're not going to go to an early morning service. But a two right. o'clock afternoon service, here's an opportunity for you to go and get them, bring them, take them for dinner afterwards and get them saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, when, uh, when I invite a new person to come with me, do you encourage them to invite them to Mass and then afternoon service or do they, is the entry point the afternoon no, service? No, 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 the full Mass. Through because mass. the reason okay. why we, we, we were the full mass, we want them to encounter this experience. Mass is not dull, drab, and boring. But for most yeah. Catholics, <laughs> it is dull, drab, and boring. You know, it's like, yeah. oh. So you, you guys are doing, you're celebrating a joyful liturgy. Total joyful liturgy. We carry the scriptures in, and we, we Father Jay goes down the altar. We have a narrator. I, I wrote out all the narration. We narrate. The Mass, we explain the Mass. We ask everybody, the narrators at the side, they just hear this voice saying, please be upstanding, we want to explain to you what happens at Mass. You'll see that Father Jerry, as he proceeds forward, he's carrying the Word of God. The Bible says the Word of God is above our ways and above our thoughts. That's why he does that. He kisses the altar, because the altar is the very centre of our sacrifice today, the sacrifice of the Mass. So we narrate at different points, and Father Jerry flows with the narrator, so our expectation is there's unchurched people, lost people coming here thinking, I never knew that when I crossed my... Because I've been doing that for 20 years, I never knew that I'm seeing in my thoughts and in my lips and in my heart. I never knew that. So yeah. we assume that most Catholics know things and they don't. So the narration of the Mass is there for the explanation. They have this great encounter with the Eucharist. Even Father Jerry gives them a chance to come for confessions and for people to rededicate their life to Christ, then afterwards they just, listen, we need the charismatic and the charismatic together. It's yes, both. that's a good word. It's a both. We used to say in the Pentecostal church, if you've got the word, word alone, you get these guys, they've got the word, and they're dry as a stick. It's a word, the word, the word is, but this and Pentecost, the word, the word. They're dry. And then you've got yeah. the charismatics, it's just all the Holy Spirit. And we used to say, listen, if you've got the words. You, you, you dry up. If you get what just alone, you dry up. And if you get the Holy Spirit just on its own, you blow up. But if you get the Word <laughs> and the Holy Spirit together, you grow up. Oh, there you go. We're trying to bring together the Word and the Spirit together that people can love the Scriptures and know the Holy Spirit 
and his ways as we encounter Christ. It's powerful. Nice. Yeah, it's so powerful. So are you seeing growth? Like, is it, is the parish growing? Are people, do they come to a relationship with Jesus Christ and then continue to go to mass week after week? What, what's the fruit, the long-term fruit you're seeing? The long-term fruit is this. Here it is, it's pioneering work. We've had great success with the place packed. I remember one of our healing service, standing room only, people coming from everywhere, coming from all over Ireland. And then, like, we're doing this conference this Saturday. We're doing Contagious for Christ conference, and it will be packed. They're going to come from everywhere. And then, maybe the following week, you get, oh, you don't have a great number again, and then a big number, a, a great number. A, because, there's, you know, my old pastor used to say to me, son, you can do church all you want. As soon as you get folks saved, your name's written in hell. And we've experienced this. There's been so much toxic gossip and attacks and people spreading rumours and don't go to them. And is that Scottish guy really a, a Catholic? I think he's a bit of a Protestant. He's all this stuff, you know. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we are experiencing breakthrough. But the locals, the locals, very few locals come. They don't come. Well, honestly, I, I, what I've noticed, and you, you are much more aware than I am, but I, what I've noticed is there's a lot of hierarchical skepticism over anything charismatic in, yeah. in Europe because I think because, as you talked about, there was that great flight after the charismatic renewal in the 70s. All these Catholics left Catholicism, and now there's still a hierarchical fear of, well, if we introduce people into the spirit, uh, introduce people to the spirit, that, that that could lead to them leaving the faith, right? Yeah, I can I understand that, and there has been bad examples and all the rest of it, you know, but faith is spelt R-I-S-K, risk. You know, we yeah. have to take a risk, we have to get out of that boat and, and, and get a religious mindset off of that and say, oh, well, where is the fruit here? You go to a pub on a Friday night in Ireland and they'll soon tell you about church. Why don't I go to church? Because I'm bored out my skull. That's what they'll tell you. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I've got some U.S. bishops and priests who think I'm a little too wild and crazy, Terry. I just need to introduce them to you and say, hey, I could be a lot more unleashed. <laughs> <laughs> I so about, this is you, great. Speaking of which, what is what is your local bishop? Like, how's, I know you're working with your diocese. You're working with clergy. So this isn't like you're some crazy renegade and you found one priest who's like, okay, let's do this together. That you, Your guys are actually systematically coaching and training and teaching priests yeah, and, yeah. and working with your diocese. What's that look like? Absolutely fantastic. Our bishop has been very su supportive of it. Uh, Father Jerry had me a meeting with uh, Archbishop Eamon Martin. He's the primate of all Ireland. And, you know, he, he was so humble when I, when I met with him. He went and got a notepad and pen. And he said, OK, <laughs> you've been away for 30 years. What do you see? Wow. Says, Archbishop, you might excommunicate me if I tell you what I see. <laughs> we had a bit, of a bit of fun. But just tell the truth. That really, the truth is this. It's a mess. Yeah. And we need renewal like never before. We need revival like never before. And then it's, it, we're, we're resisting it's this religious mindset that's resisting the things of the Spirit all the time. And that's why I say to people, religion killed Jesus. It wasn't the sinners. The sinners loved him. The sinners loved Jesus was a magnet. For sinners, why are we are we a magnet for sinners? Mm. What evangelism is really happening 
within the Catholic Church, but in the Evangelical Church and the Pentecostal Church. They're out there, they're preaching the gospel, trying to get folks saved all the time. I was talking to a priest a few months ago and I said, what are you doing for evangelism? Well, we've got four masses. That's worship. What are you doing for evangelism? Uh, with a coffee morning, that's fellowship. What are you doing to reach the lost? And he started laughing. He says, you've got me. Nothing. And I don't know if there's any idea that people are lost. And, 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 and genuinely, I would say, maybe not across the whole of the Catholic Church, but in Ireland, I've said this a few times. I've been to some Catholic funerals, and some one in particular, the guy's funeral that I went to, he was the biggest rascal in the town. Womanizer, swearer, no time for the church. And I, I heard him, I listened to him, I was in his company a few times watching football with him. This guy was a rascal. And I went to his funeral and I was listening to the priest talking and I'm thinking, this is, this is like a canonization. This guy, according to this priest, this guy's going straight to heaven. Uh-huh. And there's this understanding, everybody, this universalism, well, we're all going to heaven. Anyway, and, and if you preach the truth about faith and morals and standing for the word of God, that heaven is real and, and hell is real. And, and that's why Ralph Martin is such a prophetic voice to the church. You know, take the narrow road. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And this master of deceit, Satan has come in and deceived the Irish people. And they have this attitude, oh, we're all going to heaven anyway. Yeah. No yeah. understanding of sin. And the whole reality of the charisma, the gospel message, is not getting preached. Do you know, I was listening yeah. to Father John, John, uh, what's Father John Ricardo, a few months ago, and I was, it was on EWTN. He's got this ministry called Acts Twenty Nine. I'm sure you know Father yeah. John. But I, I was just, I, I started laughing. I thought, thank you, Jesus. I feel like this <clears throat> Catholic Pentecostal come in challenging the church and challenging people and he just said it right out the reason why we started this ministry is because most catholics have never heard the gospel yep yep wow never a truer word was said most catholics have never heard the charisma the gospel the good news this is good news but they have this good works so if, if I'm listening to this podcast, Terry, and I'm fired up, right, and I, I'm a Catholic in the pews, and I'm like, okay, well, I want, uh, like, what what would you say to the Catholic in the pew that wants to do something about what you're talking about, right? I mean, on the one hand, it's like, okay, I, I want to fly over to Ireland and play in the sandbox that Terry's playing in because this sounds fun. But not everyone's going to be able to do that. So what can what what's your advice for the average Catholic that's in the pew that wants to reach the lost? What should they do? And they, want, they want more. They want more of Christ. Yeah. Well, they have to go where more is. You know, it's one thing we, I would say, in the Pentecostal churches, and you have in America, the church that's alive is worth a drive. I would drive two <laughs> hours to, to a Pentecostal church. I would drive two hours to a parish where the young guy's in fire for the Lord, the parish priest getting vision, he's empowering people, he's up for the Lord, he wants to get young people, train young couples to reach other young couples. But the problem is, we don't have many people with vision. So uh, if you if you identify, I mean, as soon as I come back to the Catholic Church, 
I went back. I went went to the Dominican church, and I was I went going there for about six months, and nobody spoke to me. Nope. And I was <laughs> the Dominicans the aren't known for their hospitality. <laughs> They're known I, for a I lot of amazing things. I but, although they do like to party, the Dominicans do oh, like a good party. <laughs> oh, right. I was right doing the very front of the church with my Bible, because the evangelical Pentecostal they don't set up the back like Catholics. They want to get right up the very front pew. I was right up the very front pew in my Bible. And after about five or six months, he said to me, I stood, I met him outside. He says, they're all talking about, you know, they think you're a Protestant. There's a Protestant in there with a Bible. We better get him checked out. <laughs> but me and him started... They don't say that stuff in America. They, they don't freak out about us having Bibles in America, that, which is nice. That, that's fantastic. That's, We're making progress here. Well, that, that, is, that is progress, isn't it? Yeah. So he, he put me on. He says, listen, you, do you, you hear the Father Jerry Campbell? I said, no. He said, you should contact him. He's a charismatic guy. He's a charismatic priest. As soon as I phoned Father Jerry, come, go for lunch, had him for lunch. We sat, two started sparking, and that was it. So you have to, you have to pursue what you want to possess. Amen. And you have to pursue men and women of vision, men and women with fire. And if it means, and, and this might sound very... A lot of priests might not like this, but, you know, if it means going to another parish to get committed and get, and get focused and s- people that are reaching the laws, listen, before we know all of us will be out here, we don't know how long we've got. And it's your family. It's like my kids, Dad, we don't want to go to the boring church. We want to go to the super church. We all have a responsibility to preach the gospel to our family. So I would say to them, search out, because there's plenty of parishes in fire. Excuse <laughs> me. Yeah. Bad chest and face. No, I agree. I, I think it, you got to pursue what you want to possess. And I think also just the like I, the way you're describing it is it's so simple, right? In order to reach the lost, we have to invite them into environments where they can be saved and where they can hear the charisma, where they can hear the message of Jesus, where they can give their lives over to Him. And if those environments where the charisma is being preached, where the opportunity for people to give their lives over to Christ and then there's an effective follow-up for them. If those don't exist, then maybe God's asking you to create those environments, right? Like if your parish doesn't have an entry-level experience to invite someone into, maybe you need to be the one who starts that. Or if, I loved what you said earlier, the the lost don't want to come to the church, right? So instead of starting another committee at the church to do another church thing, what if, like, what if where you work, your secular workplace, what if that's where you're called to evangelize and you can actually start a charisma-based entry-level faith experience before or after work, that there's opportunities, and the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us, to give us our marching, our marching orders on how we're called to evangelize and reach the lost. Absolutely. We have the structure within the Catholic Church See, a message without a method leaves a mess. You got you need if to write a little book, Terry, of all these little one-liners. I'm yeah. starting to like okay. these. Yeah, like I, I could say, I could 365 days with Terry's one-liners. <laughs> I've got tons okay, of them. So, I save them up, make them up. Yeah, what what you say that one was? It, what what leaves a mess? A message without a method leaves there a mess. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, we can preach plenty of messages, but if we don't have a method of how we act out that message, 
Like, you know, go, the mass is ended. Go and spread the good news of the kingdom. What's the, what is the good news of the kingdom? What, how do we, what do I say? And most Catholics would be uncomfortable with evangelization because they need to be evangelized themselves. Yeah, and they have that's such a good word. With Christ. And once there's, a, there's an encounter with Christ, see, evangelism is not just enthusiasm. You need to be trained. Yeah. Jesus poured his life into these guys, and even then, after three years, he said, you wait till you get into the city of Jerusalem, and when you receive power from on high, when you get the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, only then will you be my witnesses. And sometimes we send too many people out too soon, too quick, without the training, without the anointing, the praying over them, the the power, but thank God for the young people that come. They're the best evangelists because they knew them. They're excited about Christ. So a message without here's another one: motivation without instruction leads to frustration. Mm. You get motivate. The, the, the two words for motivate is motive for your action. What's the motive for your action? You motivate people, and you get them excited. But if you don't instruct them how to carry this out, they're left, they're left frustrated. Yeah. And we'll get so much richness in the Catholic Church, so much heritage in the Catholic Church. But the, the methodology, how do we... Do you know I've got a book in me, Dan, it's called From the Pope to the Pews. Because I don't know what happens in between. <laughs> With these prophetic popes and John Paul II and, and, and Pope Benedict and evangelization, yeah. Pope Paul VI evangelizing to Andy. All the, the popes have been prophesying for ages the new evangelization. Most Catholics don't know what you're talking about when you say evangelizing to Andy. Evangelization. It's right. never really been evangelized. It's been 60, yeah, 60 years of incredible prophecy from our popes and it, 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 it hasn't hit our pews. And if it has, I, I can't, the there hasn't been the instruction. So there is even maybe motivational words or the message, but there's not the instruction. There's not the method. And uh, I mean, it's right now, it's uh, right. Uh, the American Catholic church right now is really catching up uh, uh, or not catching up, but they're using this, the phrase of missionary discipleship a lot. And I'm so, yes. on the one hand, I'm like, thank goodness that we're finally like speaking the <laughs> fact that the church is a community of missionary disciples. But on the other hand, I'm like, so worried because I'm like, ah, dang it. This is just the latest Catholic church catchphrase here in America where we're going to use this word and we're stripping the power of the word missionary. We're stripping like, and I know what's going to happen because we're going to use this word missionary, 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 missionary discipleship, a whole bunch, but we're not actually going to be missionary witnesses. And ultimately the word missionary is going to become cheap. Like to be a missionary yeah, witness, means I've done. given good. my life for the spread of the gospel. You're a man who has given your life to you. You're willing to face rejection, mm. persecution, both outside and inside the church. You're willing to do what God tells you to do and to sacrifice your life. Mm. You're willing to go where the lost are and to try new things, to take risks. And if we're not missionary witnesses, and we're using the message of missionary, that we just use this coin phrase that becomes so cheap. And our church so then goes on, okay, well, we're all missionary disciples. In the same way, the, the heresy of universalism, it, it, it caught on because everyone just assumes they're going to heaven because prophets stopped preaching that sinful people 
go to hell. The, the, the sin has a result, and the result of sin is death. And it could be eternal separation from Christ if we don't give our lives to Jesus. I don't need a savior if I'm saved no matter what. And so the kerygma falls away because we water down the gospel. Absolutely. And if we water down the, the call to missionary lifestyle, oh, just... Lord, we need we need a message and a method. You're so right, or else we'll just have a mess on our hands. And we need we need to make sure that the 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 methodology is not just a plan, but it was actually Jesus's methodology was his life, right? Like follow me, and when you follow me, my dust, my lifestyle is going to get all over you. And if my lifestyle gets all over you, when I leave and I give you the Holy Spirit, you're going to start living my lifestyle and. The reason the church exploded was because the early apostles they didn't they didn't talk about Jesus. They actually became Jesus. Amen. They became him. That's why they called them the Christians. It was like it, it wasn't like they came up with the word Christians. People were like, "Oh my gosh, these people their lives look like the anointed one." They 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 literally there was the Christ. He was the anointed one. Now their life looks like the anointed one's life. They're Christians, and that's man. If we don't look like the anointed one, if we're not walking the Holy Spirit. If we're not living lives of total self-sacrifice and gift of self, we're just, we're just, we're just, uh, we're, we're living a gospel with no power, with no yeah. authority to change people's lives. Absolutely. You, you had to, one that said, every word you, you said to him, you see, when Jesus came, he came as a Jew. And again, I just I feel the Holy Spirit tell me that because some people may misunderstand what I'm saying here about religion and religiousness and sacred traditions and yeah, what you what you're saying is very offensive to the American Catholic, and, yeah. and this is why I love that you're going to explain it more because it's not offensive at all. It's you're you're coming from a very the way you're using the word religion is not the way Thomas Aquinas spoke of the virtue of religion, right? So yeah. religion is a virtue. It falls under the, the, the cardinal virtue of justice, and it means to give God what he is due. You're speaking of the guise of religion, not, not, not yeah. the virtue of religion. The I form, think that's an important distinction. The form, yes, the, the, the scripture says, in the end things will be a form of godliness. But the, a form the, of godliness that has no power. Deny its power, yeah. A yeah. form of godliness that deny its power. They're in love with the pomp and the ceremony. The, you know, the Pharisees, the flowing robes. And, but here's this young radical rabbi. And Jesus was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He attended the synagogue. He did all the feasts. He did everything. But he bucks the system. He yep. bucks the system. And he challenges them. And John eight forty, he says, you're trying to kill me because I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> the same the Apostle Paul, Galatians 4.16, he says exactly the same. You're trying to kill me because I'm telling you the truth. It's time for the unsaid to be said. And that's what happens within the church. So much unsaid, it's time for the unsaid to be said. We need the prophetic voice, and the prophetic voice will be challenging. That's why yeah. they crucified Christ. You don't crucify a nice guy. Yeah, 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 you crucify the prophet. Jesus, Jesus was not a nice guy to these people. They they hated them. They couldn't stand them. They were tearing their robes and putting their hands over their ears. They couldn't stand the early Christians. These guys were excited, were anointed. Jesus came in a blaze of miracles. Hang out with Jesus for a day. I tell guys and men I'm trying to reach the Lord, 
Oh, so the Jesus that you look at and you think is this boring, drab Jesus with blonde hair, that's not the Jesus of the Scripture. Jesus was a man's man, anointed. Like Satan was terrified of him. Everything came against him. He took the whole weight of the sin upon his body. And when you start presenting the, the real Jesus, the Jesus is healed. He came to save the world of his son. What a hero we have. Who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? And that's <laughs> the Jesus that we, we love and we follow. The Jesus that I'm excited about. The Jesus that was counter-cultural. It's amazing when the apostles asked Jesus. When Jesus said to the apostles in Matthew 16, Who do the people say I am? They, they named prophets. The people identified him as a prophet. Absolutely. Jeremiah. They knew right away, this guy, he's counter-cultural. He must be Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist. They spoke about counter-cultural prophets. And prophets will be counter-cultural. But here lies the truth. And for the, for the listeners, be open to connection. There's something in us as Catholics... Or we don't like, who's that Scottish guy telling us? The Bible says this, rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. Rebuke a fool and he'll hate you. There's something in us we don't want to be correction. We don't want any correction whatsoever because we know it all. Ram be open, but I'll tell you, the sinners, the lost, people who are lost will listen to you and I in this conversation and think, they guys are telling the truth. I get that. I'm bored. I want to hear this Jesus guy. I want to hear about the exciting the mission of what the Dan's talking about here. Yeah, they guys make sense. But to the religious mindset, they miss it. Yeah. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're the leader of Israel and you don't understand these things. Unless a man's born again, you can't see. Sometimes we jump that too quick into the scripture where it says, unless a man's born again, he cannot enter. But Jesus says, first of all, unless a man's born again, he can't see it. He can't yeah. see this. He can't see yeah. the kingdom unless you're truly converted and you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. And then the world opens up to you and you become a magnet for sinners. Oh, I love it. Terry, I wish we could keep going. Um, <laughs> uh, let's, let's close in prayer. It'd be and, great. Um, Thank yeah, you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, just that last word that uh, Terry shared, I think, is um, a word that was was for us. That I, I think some of you during this episode, your your heart has been burning. Yes, and you have a desire to see more. Yeah, I, I just I want to I want to see I want to see what's most important. I want to see the lost. I want to see the mysteries of God unfold in the church today. I want to see a super church. I want to see a supernatural church on fire with the Holy Spirit. Yes. If there's if there's a longing inside of you to see more of the glory of God manifested in your life, I just want you to say, Lord, come. Yes. Come, come mm. right now into my heart. The Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would um, open blind eyes right now. Anyone who has been living behind the guise of religion without the power of the gospel, I pray that those eyes would be healed right now so they'd see the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. Anyone who has been living in fear, I see people whose arms and legs are chained up and 
uh, you've placed yourself in a prison. The Lord says, you've placed yourself in a prison Mm -hmm. and I've called you to be my evangelist. And the Lord wants to set you free. Those chains, uh, they were put on your wrist and your uh, feet by yourself. And the Mm -hmm. Lord's saying, I want to set you free so that you'll be my evangelist. I believe some of you, the Lord is anointing your mind and you've had ideas and ideas of uh, you've had strategy for your parish or for your workplace or for your city. And you haven't activated those ideas because Mm -hmm. your lips have been closed and the Lord wants to touch your lips, to open your lips so that you would speak with courage and your ideas would be spoken to your pastor. Your ideas would be spoken to your friends and that they would be activated. So come Holy Spirit. I just pray that you would um, bring a new evangelistic spirit Mm -hmm. amongst all of our listeners. Terry, do you want to close us in prayer? Amen. Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, I just pray for anybody that may be offended and may feel the heart rising up towards that, that they would understand the the message of the gospel, that, you know, that it's, it's come with affection, that true biblical correction must be motivated by affection. And it's because of the affection that we have for everybody listening under our voice, I pray that they would be challenged by this, but respond to it, respond to the word of God and, 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 and turn your life over to Christ and encounter him as your Lord and Saviour. And I pray for everybody under their voice that the anointing of God would flood them wherever they are, in a car, in an office, in their home, that God's presence would just come right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, I pray for every person under my voice right now that you too would encounter Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. And it's so amazing because once you encounter him, you just want everyone else to encounter him. So when you've had a real encounter with Jesus, it naturally leads to mission. And that mission is to bring more encounter to Jesus. Amen. If this episode has inspired your heart, uh, I, I just want to encourage you to share it with others. If Terry's testimony has uh, if there's someone in your life that you think his testimony or his motivation, um, his spirit would bless. I want you to share that episode with them so that they too can uh, be fed with the word of God. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond Damascus. We'll see you next time. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We got, if you're hungry to get uh, in touch with Terry or to learn more about his ministry, his books, his preaching, I want, I want you to visit uh, catholic-revert.com, catholic-revert.com. Dot com and check out what he's got going on. Thank you so much. God bless.